0: Hey, podcast listeners, I've got a special offer to share with you. You can get access to all existing and future podcast CEUs for $79 subscription for a year. And because you're amazing, you can use my code SUP20 and get $20 off. A year's access to all podcast CEUs for $59. Check out the details at speechtherapypd.com and use my code SUP20. Can we talk about self-care? Good, because today on the Speech Uncensored podcast, we're diving in deep on tools to avoid burnout. Ginger Jones from the great state of Tennessee is joining me to discuss how to keep your passion burning without burning out. Ginger's got great insights into a balanced approach to take care of your mind, body, and spirit. My name is Leanne Porter, and I'm privileged to be your host today. And now, let's hear from Ginger. Well, hello, Ginger. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, I'm so great. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. I'm really excited to have you on today's podcast to talk about burnout.
1: I am super excited to be here. I think it's a really important topic that um, is kind of a hot topic right now, so I'm excited to be talking with you about it.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, let's just dive in and go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you came to um, know so much about burnout.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, So I'm a speech language pathologist and I have been for um, a little over 16 years. And I worked for somebody else. I worked at a large healthcare organization for the first six and a half years of my career and then started my own practice almost 10 years ago. And um, through that, so I guess you could kind of say I've seen both sides. Like I've been a full-time clinician for about 10 years of the 16 years. Part of that I was running a business too, but part of that I was working for someone else. But I've definitely experienced burnout. Um, But I've also, in the time that I've been in a leadership position, have coached other clinicians kind of through it and how to recognize it and what to do about it when it pops up. So um, I became really passionate about it over the years because I think what we do, obviously what we do is really important work, but I think more so than that, I think we all have these careers that are highly rewarding and we know that. We know we're not in a factory like making a widget. And so when we start to feel burnt out, it's almost like there's a guilt or a shame about it because we should just love what we do all the time. Um, So I think burnout in any industry is important to talk about, but I think it's probably something that's not as talked about when you're in this kind of like glorified helping position. So I really want to like bring it to light, have conversations about it, um, and just help others learn from what I've learned.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um, And tell me a little bit more about your speech and language pathology background.
1: Sure, yeah. I um so I've always wanted to be a speech pathologist since I was a little girl. Um both of my parents are deaf and have been deaf since infancy. So it was always a passion passion of mine to um work with individuals with communication delays and especially um hearing loss. So i specialized in that um for about probably about the first 10 years of my career, and I still hold a certification in helping children with hearing loss develop spoken language and their auditory skills. Uh, I don't see patients consistently anymore as my company has grown. Um, We now have nine locations and see um, probably about 6,500 patients a month. So I'm functioning now more as like a CEO, um, but still put on my therapist and clinician hat every once in a while.
0: Nice. Well, that's really cool. I didn't know that about you. That's a really interesting background. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so what's our next step? Are we going into like becoming more self-aware about the signs of burnout, recognizing those?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what what I would say when I start out giving this talk, I think one of the things that we hear often, and Wayne Dyer is a, a motivational speaker and an author. He passed away in 2015, but he had sold like millions of books, but he was kind of quoted with saying, don't die with the music still inside of you. And so I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think there's a lot of conversation around like not letting something that's like that fire in your soul, that fire in your belly, like do that work. Right. And I, but I think what we don't talk about as much is what happens if the music dies. So we all as clinicians are doing something that hopefully like feeds our soul and like gets our heart pumping. And we love that work, but there can be times where, quote unquote, that kind of music dies. And so I think I would love to start out initially just kind of talking about what burnout is. It's now got an ICD-10 code, so you can be diagnosed with it when you go to the doctor. Um, But it was first described back in 1975. And it was that when a practitioner becomes inoperative, so you really can't do your job. And this can take on like different forms. So you can become more rigid. You can be irritable, just like an increased resignation from the work is what you can see. Um, But we also know that as it worsens, the effects are more serious. So if it's prolonged, it can lead to illness, to depression, self-medication, and and self-medication can be with legal or illegal substances. Um, So we all, you know, we obviously want to get at that before it gets that bad. And Ultimately, I think it just becomes, it's like a sense of reduced accomplishment and, and it can be like a loss of your personal identity. So um, I also want to point out that like burnout from the research I've done and just from what I've watched, it's like more than a bad day. It's like when you can't have a good day you know, um, there's no perfect job. There's no perfect day. Like things are going to happen. So, um, so I, one of my staff jokingly said, like, at some point I said, um, you can't burn out if you are never on fire. So I think that like, that's something to keep in mind too, is that this comes from like working and working and working and working, but not taking care of your resources. And so it's really when the demands of the work are like, Exceed your capacities of what you can do. So, um, some signs of it would be um, decreased effectiveness. You start to have mental distance between you and the work. You can't get excited about the work anymore. Um, you can actually get sick from it. Um, total exhaustion and and total exhaustion to me can be that you're not sleeping. Maybe because you're not taking care of yourself, but also maybe you're sleeping a lot, but it's not good sleep you know, um, and making careless mistakes and then just kind of like an all around feeling of helplessness, um, is, or some of the signs of burnout. Um, so what I like to say is like, so now we know here's what burnout is, here's what it's described as, and here's how it can look. But where I like to spend a lot of the time, if you're cool with moving forward is like talking about, okay, how do we, um, how do we avoid it? And yes,
0: I'm sure that is what everybody, everyone's like <laughs> really <laughs> perked up and they're like, yes, girl. Yes. Tell me how yeah. I'm going to ever get there.
1: Yeah. No. And it's so, and I think, like I said, like, it's kind of recognizing that, you know, being self-aware enough to know that there are going to be tough days, but if you really just feel like over time, this reduced sense of accomplishment or, or just that you cannot get excited about this work. And really for us, I think what is, would be so sad about that is that I know there's a lot of people like me who wanted to do this since they were young. You know, and so I think it's a real tragedy if um you you spend your childhood dream like mine and then you would get to this point where you don't even want to do that work anymore, and maybe that's not you, maybe you didn't want to do it since you were a kid, but we've all spent a lot of money on the education <laughs> you know so um so maybe you just decided in college you want to do it, however, you' just probably spent a lot of money and a lot of time doing it, so I just I think to me it's so important that we all just be aware of it because these patients need us, and if it wasn't needed there wouldn't be the career. So I, I, when I talk to clinicians that have worked for me, I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll try to call their attention to some things that could be leading to burnout. And I'll say like, I hate, I don't want you to go be a real estate agent or go work in a marketing firm because you got burnt out being a speech pathologist or an OT or something, you know, like the world needs you. So, so let's figure this out. So, um, so one of the first things that I like to talk about, um, when I'm talking about burnout is kind is what I call being a screen door and not a sponge. And I got that from talking to somebody who just was kind of like taking on the emotions of all of the people around her. And so we specialize in primarily pediatrics. So a lot of things I will say will kind of come from that, but certainly you could be in any setting and, and deal with some of these same things, but let's just put it on pediatrics for a minute is that, you know, um, parents are coming in maybe with diagnoses that they're sad about. Um, sometimes their marriages may be feeling the brunt of having, you know, to go to therapy all the time or having a child with some special needs or behavioral issues. And so, um, we want to be present for our families, but we also need to take care of ourselves. And so when I say be a screen door, not a sponge, it helps you literally visualize that like a sponge is there like taking it all in. And the more water you pour in a sponge, the heavier it gets, right? But a screen door is there and is present, but things are kind of flowing through it. Um, So one of the things that we need to learn is to not take things personally as well. Um, And I am one of the biggest proponents of saying that um, my life changed significantly when I learned to not take things personally. So it's not easy work, um, especially if going back to for me as a business owner, like it's been a lot of my blood, sweat and tears and time away from my family and things like that. So it's it could be easy for me to take things personally. And as a clinician, you have poured your heart and your soul into your patients and all of that. But it I had to work to pay a coach to not take things personally. <laughs> I'll say it was a lot, a lot, a lot of practice. But I think that's one thing that can help you. Um, for being a screen door and not a sponge. Um, Another thing that I did and this, a lot of stuff I'll share came through coaches and um, mentors, but another thing that I will do is like visualize actual boundaries sometimes when I've been in a situation. So as cheesy as it sounds, I will sometimes picture myself in a bubble afterwards and just kind of get quiet and um, get alone for a minute, even if it's just a minute or two and kind of visualize that like, whatever was tough about that last session or that last conversation, I just have to kind of reset. And so um, I will sometimes picture myself in a little bubble just so I can like clear my head and be my best for the next conversation I need to have or the next session. Um, And then lastly, uh, what I, another thing that I do and I don't have to do as much and that's what I think is, I don't have to do this as much anymore. And that's what I think is really cool about some of these things is if you just do it, enough, it becomes a habit. Um, but I had a ritual very early on. Um, now this, I'm going to talk about when I started my business, but when, when I started my business, I found out that I was pregnant too. My husband and I have been trying to have a child for a long time and it wasn't happening. And then I got pregnant. So I had a new business and a new baby and things were really nuts. And, <laughs> um, and I was having a hard time transitioning from like, building a company and growing a company. And then all these demands that were on me at home. And so a coach that I worked with was like, um, you should, you know, have a ritual. And so we talked through and I did this every day for probably a year or two, um, to, to help myself be a screen door. But I would, when I pulled up in my driveway, there's a tree right by, um, where I parked my car and I would, before I got in my car, I would just say a little prayer over all my employees, all of my patients, all of our spaces, you know, and just kind of leave that there for the day. And I, the tree that I referenced, I would kind of visualize myself when I got out of my car, just kind of like hanging all of that on the tree for the night so that I could go in and be a mom. And that tree was there the next morning for me to take everything on my way to work. So um, I'd share that story with clinicians a lot so that they can, at the end of their day, um, have some kind of ritual that just kind of helps them reset uh, because they may have families and friends and, or just things that they want to do personally that they need to be able to like flip the switch for to go home.
0: Yeah, that's really great, Ginger. That really like speaks to me as having those boundaries between, you know, work life and home life. And I am so guilty of bringing work stress home and letting that interfere with my interactions with my loved ones.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so
0: I really like that idea of creating a ritual that you are like separating those spaces mm-hmm. and not allowing what happens in one place to bleed in over into other spheres that were when it shouldn't. When
1: it shouldn't, right. Because sometimes things are gonna be of utmost importance, you know. Um and I would be lying if I said that there weren't times I've got two children now and if, if there aren't times that something at work, you know, needs my attention and it's eight o'clock at night. You know, that's um and that's gonna happen when you're when you're in a service-based business, you know, um, which what we do is. So I think, but I think also just, it's having that go-to and, and I'll talk about this a lot. It's kind of like knowing when you're your best so you can get back on track, you know? Um, and two, just practice, 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 and not, don't beat yourself up when you mess up because tomorrow's a new day. But yeah, I agree. Highly, highly important. And it's hard to create those lines when you care about your work so much. It'd, it'd be easy if you didn't like your job. <laughs> um, so another thing that I think is really important when we think about just being our best selves and um, avoiding burnout is to consider what I call the power of proximity. And there's a lot of research out there that shows you're going to be like the five people you spend the most time with. So 95 percent of your successes will be determined about who you habitually choose to spend your time with. Um, and that's down to research has shown you will make, you know, within an amount as a reasonable amount, the same amount of money you'll weigh close to the same as the people that you're around. And, um, so I think people need to choose very wisely. (laughs) who They're going to be around, um, because you could, you could be doing all your best work on yourself, but if all of your friends are complaining about their job all day, if you go have drinks after work or whatever, and everybody hates their job and they're just sitting around complaining about life as if it happens to them and they have no control over it you would have to be like a superhuman to not have that affect you. So um, I make a list every year of 50 people at the end of the year, we know when it's kind of like um, planning your goals time. I always just write down 50 people that I would like to be in their space. Um, And I've done that for the past four or five years, never, never met all 50. Um, But it's for me, it's just being intentional about people that I know will like build me up, make me better, make me think differently, um, and just make me a better human. So, yeah. And I, so I think in closing of that, I just would tell people that like, if you really want a good look at your future, you need to look at the people you spend the most time with. And, and I, we can talk about some resources at the end, but there's a great book called, um, Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. And I think that's, I've probably I think that's one of the only books that I've read cover to cover twice. I keep a lot of books for reference, but um, it's just great for all relationships, you know, is that sometimes, um, sometimes you have to, there are endings for things and I could do a whole nother talk on like pruning relationships and stuff like that. But I do just think people need to be aware of who they're spending their time around in order for them to be their best.
0: Um, do you know off the top of your head if mm-hmm. that's the same author as who wrote the book Boundaries? Yes, or- it
1: is. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, that's good stuff. I know he's awesome. Which is so funny because the next thing I usually talk about is Boundaries. Yeah, I know he's, <laughs> he's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so speaking of Boundaries, it's like you knew <laughs> we're we're right now. Um, So yeah, Boundaries. Gosh, Boundaries are so important, and I. Probably out of all the things that I talk about when I talk about burnout, boundaries is the one I have to keep coming back to with my staff. Um, And I would just, I just kind of call it out and say, look, y'all, you know, we go to our primary care physician or a dermatologist or whatever, like once a year. And so our, our thoughts on boundaries are like very obvious, right? Because it's not like we're going to become best friends with our primary care physician, you know, but we are seeing, again, going back to pediatrics, we are seeing patients Sometimes in our clinics, if they're coming to speech PT and OT, I mean, we're seeing them sometimes three, four times a week. Um, and so boundaries, that line can, can get really gray, right? Um, but I think boundaries allow a person to say no and to have a clear conscience about it. And also when you have pop, proper boundaries, you can really show love and respect. And I think that that sometimes is, that feels weird, especially, I hate to say it, but I think especially for women, because we're like, yes, people you know? Um, And so I think one of the things I tell people to do when I'm talking about boundaries is, and I put it back on me as a business owner, is that I have a policies and procedures manual for the company. And I didn't have that for a while, right? Because I didn't really know what I was doing. And when something popped up, we would be like, yeah, let's do that. Or no, let's not do that. But then over time there, it was just obvious that we needed a policies and procedures manual because the machine ran more effectively, right? So I think as a clinician, as a person, if you take some time to think about if you were writing a policies and procedures manual for yourself, what would would your boundaries be? And a good place to start may just be thinking about when were the times that you were kind of ticked off or triggered by something, you know? Um, And Seth Godin says, I love this. He says, when you draw a line, you eliminate having to make a decision about it. And I think, so let's just take this for example, before I had children, if patients texted me and needed me on the weekend, that was not a big deal to me. It was just a boundary that I was okay with not holding tight to, you know, now when I work, you know, probably on most, I mean, never less than a 40 hour week, probably sometimes more like 50 to 60 hours. It's my time with my family is more protected, you know? So for me now, that's like a boundary to myself that like, depending on what it is, it would have to be like emergency emergency for me to take time away from my family. Otherwise it'll still be there Monday morning at seven or 8 a.m. when I get to work, you know? Um, So I just say all that to say, like, I hope that that helps people see the context is that like, we're really used to like policies and procedures in an organization. So let's do it for ourselves because it just helps you instead of going, well, do do I draw the line here this time or do I draw the line there? If you take Seth Godin's advice, it's just draw the line and then you don't have to decide. Um, which I think is really easy because then you're not like him hawing back and forth about, well, it's okay this time, but it's not okay this time. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that yeah. sounds like a very simplified response. And uh, I'm a chronic sufferer from decision fatigue. So the less I
1: know, yeah. time
0: I have to spend making umpteen billion decisions,
1: the better. I know. Yeah, it's, I know, isn't, I'm like, I could feel like I, I could almost become robotic in some ways. Because once you do that, you, it's very freeing, right? Like I was telling somebody this the other day and I said, you know, I, I allow myself to have like one soft drink a week, you know, and it's like Friday nights with pizza. And for me, because I just said, like, the only time I have a Pepsi or a Coke or whatever is Friday nights with pizza. And that way, if, even if I really want to another time, it's just like, no, like I already made that commitment to myself you know? So from a health standpoint, that's like a boundary I made with myself. Right. But you think about like how, what boundaries do you need to put in place with your colleagues or with um, the patients that you serve or with your family? Even I just think all around, it makes you like a better person. So
0: it really does. And establishing those boundaries can be really frightening at first and maybe fearful of like repercussions that would come. Right.
1: Yeah, for sure but I it really like
0: it it, takes an act of faith.
1: <laughs> yes, it does. It does. And I actually just wrote about this for the Asha leader live. I think it, it'll still be on there. It's maybe just published like two weeks ago, but I think that really it that's probably more of just a fear that we have when we put the boundary up, but, and maybe, maybe somebody is going to be really mad about it, but I think that it, that kind of comes back to what I was saying about pruning relationships, right? Like if somebody can't respect that this makes you a better friend or it makes you a better clinician or whatever it is, um, then to me, you kind of got to look long and hard at that relationship. Um, and, and of course, too, you communicate it delicately, you know, and I think I remember when I started documenting in my sessions more because it was at a time where I was still seeing a lot of patients. I was my business was growing. So I'd be like running out of a session to go do payroll and all this administrative stuff. And I said to families, I was like, I want you to know I'm getting so behind on my documentation that um, I'm going to start typing some as the session allows you know? So it was kind of a, a boundary that I had to do for myself. So I wasn't getting so behind, but I had that open conversation with the families about it. So they weren't like, well, why all of a sudden is gender on her computer more, you know, while she, while we're in a session. So, so I think a lot of it goes down to how you communicate it.
0: Yeah. I think that was a great example. Thank
1: you. Yeah. And so, so after boundaries, um, I think this is, to me, which is so funny because you're, you're probably like me. I was like, everybody knows about this one, but I just spoke on it recently. And when I said, how many people know about this? Like two people raised their hand out of a crowd of like 300, but, um, gratitude habits. I mean, oh my gosh, like practicing gratitude. And, um, one of my favorite people that kind of talks about this is a guy named Sean Acker. And he wrote a book called, um, the happiness advantage, and he's a happiness researcher at Harvard. And, Harvard lets in like, I think 4% of the people that apply. So every year, you know, it's just like one of the most prestigious universities in the world. And like, I want to say 1,100 people, give or take, get in. And he, so he was researching this. And after three weeks of getting into like one of the most coveted universities in the world, people that did not practice gratitude felt entitled and weren't happy about being at Harvard. (laughs) I know. Wow. I know, right? And so he talks about how you can really rewire your brain in 30 days for gratitude. Um, And I just think when you take, when you take an example like that, like what can happen, because what I think what happens is you end up changing your thermostat, right? So all these people forget, let's just take the Harvard example. All these people forget that for years, all they wanted to do was to get into Harvard once they get it. Well then their thermostat changed. Right. So then it's like, well, what's the next thing I need? And and that's great. I mean, I'm an achiever too, but I, but I think it's like, to me, the master class is being grateful while you still want more, you know? And so, so what he talks about and what I think, you know, you can read about when you hear about gratitude is, um, journaling, obviously three things. Um, I think that's probably the practice that people do most is just finding three things in your day that you're grateful for. I know some people do at the beginning, some people at the end, but it can, it can be something so simple, like, a really good cup of coffee or a great conversation with a friend on your way home from work, whatever it may be. Um, Another thing that you can do is also carry something with you. Um, And some people have, you know, I know carry rocks. I know some people have had something in their car. That's kind of a symbol of gratitude. And one of the things I do is uh, every trip I go on, I buy a coffee mug from where I've been. And it's interesting because my husband is slowly but surely getting tired of us having coffee mugs everywhere <laughs> but but one of the things for me is that coffee to me is like that's kind of my therapy right like my morning cup of coffee when i'm reading or outside like before my kids get up and so i always have this like token of maybe a great trip with girlfriends or a trip that i went on for a conference and had a great time so i have this daily time where i've got this different coffee mug from somewhere that i can just reflect on how grateful i was for that experience so um it could, it could be something like that. But then another thing that I thought was interesting that I learned from Sean Acker's work is you can do the daily gratitude of the three or whatever list you want. But the other thing is you could just write one thing if you wanted, but the detail is what we re- rewires your brain. So if you said, um, you know, I'm so grateful that today uh, Sally brought me my favorite latte from Starbucks because it was raining outside and I was kind of feeling down, right? So naming that person the drink and what the weather was like, right? is like, that's what's triggering your brain and rewiring it to find the things to be grateful for. That's
0: really awesome. Um, I saw a post on Facebook once, and it was this idea of making a weekly, just a weekly habit, not even daily. Mm -hmm. Could you just do this once a week on a little slip of paper, write down something you're grateful for for that week and put it in a jar.
1: Yeah.
0: And then at the end of the year, you pull them all out and you read
1: them again. That is so cool, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And I've been doing that for two years. I'm working on the third year of it. And it is an incredible like New Year's Eve tradition.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so cool.
0: It's amazing because what it turned into was like the year in review. Right. I was going to say, then it's like a
1: little trip down memory lane. Yeah, exactly.
0: We got to relive everything and look back and be like, wow.
1: (laughs) That's so cool.
0: I'd forgotten and, about that. I forgot yeah. about that because it's not just the big things. It's the right. little things and it's,
1: the little things, yeah. it was
0: re- it's really meaningful. So
1: no, I think so. And I think you just, those kind of things just remind you that like, there really is greatness all around you and we just can choose to look at it or we can choose to like, look at the clouds, you know? Um, but I know I'm a better person when I'm choosing to be grateful. Um, So, yeah, I love that. And I think there's a, you know, you can Instagram is a great place to find gratitude habits or Pinterest or something like that. So I think people, again, this is kind of one of those things where you just need to find what works best for you. But I do think if you find yourself in a time and I've had to do this to me, it's kind of like kind of kick yourself in your own honey because, you know, it's get back to that rigorous practice of gratitude um, so that you don't fall too far down that rabbit hole of burnout and entitlement and not being grateful. So.
0: Oh yeah. I'll, I'll enter into a complaining session with my husband and he'll mm-hmm. patiently listen and nod his head and be like, "Hmm, yes. And then when I finish, he goes, but don't we have such a wonderful life?
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, so true. Order? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. I just needed a moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And another thing I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I'll tell you something else. I learned that. It, it doesn't really play into this, but since you said that, I was at this talk probably about a little a year ago, and this person was talking about thriving in chaos, and she had you partner up with somebody, and she said, okay, before you start, I'm going to give you a minute each, and she was like, think about something that's really bothering you right now, and I had something going on at work, and so I was like, perfect. I didn't have to think long, and then for a minute, you had to talk about it to this other person, but they couldn't say anything. They just had to look at you, Okay. And so this could be a great exercise for like colleagues when your colleagues are complaining or or your spouse, whatever. But what happened is that, and I'm telling you, this is something that was like hugely affecting my business. And I was like level three angry about it many days. And so what happened though, was when nobody's like feeding into it, I didn't even, I couldn't fill up a minute of talking about it. You know, I know it was so powerful because, and what she was trying to show you was that that other person can keep you ratcheted up. You know? And I was like, Oh my gosh, like this wasn't like I was just complaining about like, you know, my kids not picking up their clothes and putting them in the dirty clothes. Like, you know, I thought like I give me ten minutes, I could tell you so many things. And I couldn't even talk for a minute about it. Because if somebody's just sitting there and like holding the space for you, you um it you run out of things to be angry about when somebody's not feeding it. So just little sidebar detour there of um something I learned that helps you be a better friend too. Yeah. Thank um, you for sharing that yeah, 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 yeah. Um, another thing that I think is super important to me when we're talking about avoiding burnout is mental immunity. And I think everybody's so we know, we know immune system, right? Like hopefully we're eating right. We're sleeping well and, you know, doing all the working out all the things we need to do because we know an immune system for our bodies is healthy, but we don't necessarily think about what we put into our minds. And I, and, you know, and every time I speak about this is like, no judgment, you have to find out what's good for you. But like, I will say a lot of times, because there's women in the crowd, I'm like, you know, like, I know, like the real housewives or stuff like that is like funny, but honestly, it's like toxic, right? To watch people like argue about, you know, the problems that they have, which is like, which Mercedes or BMW are they going to buy? You know, like um, I so I've just chosen to really be intentional about what goes into my mind. And for me, that meant like way, 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 way less TV. I mean, barely watching TV and lots more reading and lots more listening to podcasts and mm-hmm. TED talks and things like that. Um, so I think again, this just go. This is like everybody else go. Okay, what am I doing? What can I be putting in my mind that's not really serving me, um, and replace it with something like yoga, meditation, working out, taking a walk in nature, taking a bath, whatever it may be. Um, but I think it's doing that self assessment of how good is your mental immunity. Um, because if you're I think if you're not being intentional about it, you're really like you've got an exposure there um, where if you have a couple bad days. Right. But you haven't been building up your mental immunity, it could really hit you and take you out. hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> what
0: <laughs> I've experienced that. And paying attention to that and letting my, you know, my mental immunity slip a little bit and then I, I'll have a string of bad days and then what should not have been very impactful in those mm-hmm. bad days become became monstrously impactful. And then mm-hmm. I'm having huge responses to it that don't really match the level of intensity <laughs> yeah. just because my immunity yeah. had been shot from the get-go.
1: Right. Right. I know. I will say, wow, I'll sometimes catch myself like that was a really elevated response to that tiny thing that happened. (laughs) Um, So, again, and I think what you and I have come up with, too, that I don't necessarily had planned to talk about is also just the self-awareness of it, too. You know, Um, so like recognizing like, oh, I haven't been good at this. And that's why I like lost it over over that, which, you know, didn't require that. (laughs) Um, so another thing that I think is really, really important, and I I love talking about this, it's it's creativity. And I don't know, there's probably lots more like speech pathologists and clinicians out there who consider themselves creative. But I had convinced myself over the years that I wasn't creative because I don't do the creative things, you know, the air quote creative things. I don't knit, I don't do calligraphy or anything like that, you know? And so I was like, okay, I just must not be creative. But um, what I really, you know, when I paid attention to like what really lit me on fire, it's like the, the root word of create means to grow. So it's not about like having an Etsy store or, you know, I know a lot of people in our field have the teachers pay teachers on the side and um, and that's all great and all that is creative and maybe that's their creative outlet. But if you're somebody like me, um, finding ways to be creative and just like find new ways of self-expression and and new ways to just get lost in the process of something. It really creates like a psychological resilience that I think we have to have in our field. Um so I just would encourage people if if they have a creative outlet, great, continue to do that. If you think you're not a creative person, like for me I love writing like blog posts and I love writing our content for social media. That's a really creative thing for me and I like solving problems, which, you know, lucky for me, that comes up a lot when you own a business with non-locations, you know? (laughs) So, um, so that's a really creative outlet for me. Um, So I think if I, you know, to recap, it's that like, don't think you're not creative, but if you aren't doing something that kind of like gets your creative juices flowing, like find something um, so that it, it, again, like I said, is kind of creating that resilience because you're going to need it when the bad days come. Um, and real quickly, I would talk about like finding support. And I think, um, thankfully in our field, there's no shortage of mentors, right? Because we, we all got into this to help people. So if there's, if there's a, another clinician that needs help, you're probably going to be able to find somebody. But, um, also even, I mean, I'm real big on investing in counseling or therapy. If you need that, I, I was reading something the other day that said, you know, nobody, there's not like a stigma about going to the doctor for your physical health um and so there shouldn't be for going to like a counselor or a therapist for your mental health and i i think having like a neutral third party um that doesn't have a dog in your fight is amazing but i also recognize that you might not have the time or the money for that and so another thing you do is just have like a facebook group of clinicians or a text group of clinicians or a whatsapp group like i've got a whatsapp group of business owners and we send each other funny memes all the time and we build each other up and you know we vent when we need to for a minute and so just having that support of like-minded people, I think is so important in preventing burnout.
0: Yes. Yep. I agree. I think that's huge.
1: Yeah. And thankfully like technology is like, that's so much easier to do, right. Um, so, and you can keep up with your graduate school cohorts, you know, there's so many ways now, but, and so lastly, the thing I talk about is probably the, the biggest thing. And it's like the biggest buzzword I feel like right now is self-care. Um, and the only thing I'll probably say any differently than anybody else that's talking about self-care is I just want to make sure that we all know like one size doesn't fit all. Um, you know, I was, I was actually recording another podcast a couple weeks ago and we were joking that like self-care for one person is like margaritas, but I'm like, that's not self-care for me. Cause I'll have a hangover, you know, <laughs> like and that's the opposite of self-care for me. Um, so, so jo- what self-care for one person isn't necessarily for the other. And then the other thing that I think people should think about when it comes to self-care is that there's different types of self-care. So self-care is not necessarily getting a massage or taking a bath. There's, um, physical self-care. So are you, do you have good sleep habits? Are you eating well? Are you moving? Are you getting exercise? Um, social self-care. Are you, do you have strong relationships with people that you trust? Do you have a sense of belonging? Do you have a sense of connection? Um, Environmental self-care, having a well and organized car office home. That's a big one for me, but I know it's not for other people and that's okay. You know, it's kind of like owning your own things. Um, Gretchen Rubin says outer order leads to inner peace. And that's one of my favorite things, because I know that to be true for me. Like, I can't I can't have your old French fries in my car, which is super challenging when you have two young kids, you know, but um, (laughs) but I've also I know people that like it bothers them none that they have a messy car. And that's cool. You know, Um, another one is financial self-care, you know, being responsible with your finances, having a healthy relationship with money, Uh, professional self-care, which I think it goes in a lot of ways. But we are we are on the winning into that I think because we feel like we're doing something that's a good use of our gifts and our talents um, but maintaining those balance and boundaries that we talked about as part of you know professional self-care um, there's spiritual self-care so are you somebody that needs to be in prayer and meditation or going to church whatever it may be for you like do you believe you're a part of something bigger um, and then psychological self-care so like I said being creative trying new things um, building intrinsic motivation Um, So I think the the one to kind of wrap up self care, I would say, is that to me it's it's a very uh, it's deeper than it seems, right? And I think if you just looked on Instagram or something like that, it's going to be like, oh, self care Saturday, I'm getting a massage, and maybe that is for you. But I would encourage people to really be intentional about going through the different aspects of self care. I have what's called, and I'm I'm stealing this from a friend named Andy Bailey. He owns a coaching. company here in Nashville. He calls it a win life works list. So I always had this list of things on my phone, but I just love now that I can call it a win life works list. Okay. So I have a list. I think there's 10 things on it. It's my go back to list when I'm getting out of, when I'm running off the track of self-care and getting close to burnout. Right. And for me, it's, have I been working out? Have I been eating right? Have I been sleeping well? Have I been doing my gratitude habits? Have I been connecting with my family? There's like a lot of things on there that I don't have to refer to anymore. I mean, I don't have to refer to every day anymore. But it's like, I just, I recognized there were times for me where I was like, I'm in flow. You know, do you you have those moments? <laughs> like, everything's going great and then you have those times when you're like, I'm not sure I'm doing anything well, you know? And so I was like really self-reflective for a while of like, why do I sometimes feel like this? And why do I sometimes feel like this? And I recognize there were these habits that kept me kind of on top of my game. And so I just have that list and the list can change over time. Mine's been pretty steady for probably the last four or five years, but, um, it's just when my life is working great, I've done a majority of those. I don't do every one of them every day because it's, impossible, but I would really, really encourage you to do that. And I have an app called daily goals. It's so cool for those of us that are like, check the box people, (laughs) which I know a lot of speech pathologists are. Um, but it's, you can put all the goals on there and it'll, you can click it when you do it that day. And then you can even go back and look like, what was your percentage of that for the month? Like what was your percentage of getting all of them done for the month, or were you more likely to do your working out than you're drinking your water? You know, it's it's a really cool thing if you want to analyze it in that way. I don't always go that far, but cool. it's there for those. I would people totally too. get nerdy with the data. I know <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. Um, so those are um really like to me kind of the the most important things that I've seen that I think we all know. You know, we just forget to do it, and those are a lot of the conversations that I've had with people over the years um revolve around like doing those kind of things in order to just be our best selves.
0: Yeah, I really hadn't gone that far into depth on aspects of self-care and realizing that there's mm-hmm. like essentially seven components to look at. And, yeah. and there may be more <laughs> if I'm caring for myself and my environment in each of those ways. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when one get get out of whack how it might trickle
1: over yeah and yeah, and I think it's just uh, you know again, like I said, you and I kind of stumbled into self awareness, and um it's time, you know, and I think that's the other thing is you have to be willing to put in the time for some of those self care things, so for example, if um some my closet can end up being like real crazy, you know, because clothes get thrown everywhere in the mornings or whatever, but like I mentioned for me, my space of looking good. Is, is an important part of my self-care. So I sometimes have to, like every couple months go, okay, I'm taking the first two hours of my Saturday morning and I'm getting in, I'm getting rid of clothes that I don't wear anymore. I'm organizing my shoes better. You know, it's, it's sometimes making a plan and sometimes doing the things you don't want to do so that your life functions better later. You know, it's like uh, getting ready at night. In case, I'm a big prepare at night so that if one of the kids is throwing up in the middle of the night or things go crazy in the morning, it um, things run as smoothly as they can. So I think that's another thing is just sitting down and like what's important to you, but also knowing that you might have to put in some work because self-care isn't easy all the time.
0: Yeah. Self-care is not an avoidance of your problems. <laughs> You know, that's I mean, that's, that's kind of how I've been treating it lately. And through, you know, talking with you and other folks about um, stress management and burnout, I'm beginning to realize the obvious here.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's such a good way that you yeah, to say that. And, and I think I would just add on to that, too, is that sometimes it's reframing the way you talk to yourself. And, um, and it's so for me, I think, this work that we do is, um, it's such a privilege, like, for me to think about how many families that have trusted me with their as with their children personally, as a clinician, but also on a larger scale. Now, as I have a company, you know, I don't take that lightly, um, that I've been trusted in that way. And that I think that with that privilege, sometimes comes a burden of if you want to call it that kind of like being your best, but, it, but I like to flip it and be like, what a privilege, you know, I could be doing work that I didn't love and I could be working with people who um, didn't make me better, you know? And um, so I think if those moments of anxiety or anxiousness about something, if you can just flip it to being excited about the work that we get to do, um, that's a great first step.
0: Yeah. That where your perspective is, is, really huge. I want to go back to when you were talking about the book that Sean forgot his last name wrote. Yeah. About the happiness advantage and how, you know, once people who had been working for a long time really hard to stand out in their field, to be accepted into Harvard, get into Harvard, and then they're like not grateful for it anymore, not excited to be there. When that was like their one goal, you know? know, Yeah. That's about that perspective going back to like, isn't it so great that I'm here?
1: Like, yeah, I feel like, like how many having, people I mean, would there's oh. probably people who would give up limbs to be there, right? You know, <laughs> so if you could think about it in that way, and even like another thing, I just read a book of it's uh, Anthony Hinton's book, like, he was wrongly imprisoned, he was on death row for 30 years for a crime he didn't commit. So Every speech pathologist or clinician out there listening, like on your worst day, you haven't been on death row for 30 years for something you didn't do, you know, so like other people's stories can give you, um, perspective on, um, just being more grateful for the situation that you're in. So, yeah, I think you're so right. Like your perspective can change everything. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I think I fall into the habit of taking things for granted way too easily.
1: Yeah, I think we all do. Um, and so uh, you know, a, a when life works list, it would be great for when you fall into those times and it's just kind of reminding yourself and the gratitude habits, you know, just the the little, little, little things.
0: Oh, okay. So when you first said when life works list, you're mm-hmm. you're saying W H E N.
1: Yes, yes. When, when life W I N. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess
1: bedroom. I guess it could be but yeah, no, when W H E N. Yeah. <laughs> When Life uh,
0: works list, like mm-hmm. so then you list things like when life is going great, this is how I know, like these things are being achieved, or
1: yeah, and I got to it, like I said, I got to it kind of like in the backwards way, is I can remember kind of having this awareness of like I am sometimes just nailing it, you know, and I am sometimes just winging it all and like worried that today's the day, everybody finds out I have no clue what I'm doing, you know, and um, and so I th- I think it just after some time, I was like. So why do I feel like this? Like what's, you know, I guess when, what we do, there's a lot of like, you know, when when a child has behavior problems, you're like, okay, what, what's happening before that causes this behavior? You know? So I did that analysis on myself and, um, and had this list that I kind of always knew this is when I'm at my best. But then, um, my friend Andy was running a workshop and he was like, I have this Win life works list. And i was like, oh my gosh, I have something to call it now, which sounds so much cooler when I speak about it. So I stole mm-hmm. it from him. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, um, to wrap up today, I was wondering if you wanted to make any recommendations for people to dig deeper into yeah. this. You mentioned um a couple of books, like yes. the book by Henry Cloud about necessary endings. Um mm-hmm.
1: And he's also got boundaries, yeah.
0: Big fan of boundaries book.
1: Yeah, and, and then Sean Hacker's book is called The Happiness Advantage. Um I think that's a great one for um just learning about happiness and gratitude habits and things like that. Another one from an organizational standpoint that we read as a company was called the energy bus. Um, and it, it was really great. We we do a quarterly book club in my company and I could see, it just talks about like you're responsible for your energy, you know? And um, when we read that as a team, you could just see that people it was like that reminder to like leave your stuff at the door. Um, We all have busy family lives and things going on, but we all we are here in service of these patients. And so that's a good one. And then another book that um, when I mentioned not taking things personally, there's a book called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, and one of the four agreements is just kind of like the four things you can do to like live your best life. And one of them is to not take things personally, personally. Um, and so I recommend that one, too, is just uh, um, like, kinda like a great personal development book because I learned a lot from it. So I got... Those are just some <laughs> I love, on my Instagram page. I have like, I kind of keep up with the books I'm reading and, and my favorite takeaways from them. So it can be like a little cliff notes for people to see if they want to buy the book and read it themselves. But I'm a big fan of, of reading to make ourselves better. Okay, cool.
0: Thank you, Ginger. Yeah. That was wonderful. You've just been a treasure trove. Oh,
1: well, thanks. You had so much good insight too. I love, I love talking to other clinicians because, I, you know, somebody yesterday, somebody, adds, like I said, I've been practicing for 16 years and one of them, our clinical fellows asked me a question yesterday and I did not know the answer. I was like, I have not heard of that. Right. And so when she walked away, I was like, you know, that's one of the things I love about our field is there's always something to learn. So I just I love getting to talk to other clinicians and learn from people like you as well.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, Happy to be of service. <laughs> <laughs> I always just feel like the the person over here who's like, yes, come be on my podcast. Let me um, like learn everything from you.
1: Yeah, but you know, it's such a gift too in the way I, uh, one of my friends that has a great podcast too. And she she says the same thing. Like, she's like, I just learned so much, but uh, it's such a gift too for somebody like me to have a great conversation about it because I learn something new every time, you know, and it's very different. I've been on podcasts before. I just want you to kind of like, say certain things, but it's not a conversation, you know, and that's cool too. You know? I mean, we've all got a message to share, but I always enjoy having a conversation because I walk away from it better as well. So yeah. thank you.
0: Cool. Well, excellent. All right, Ginger. Well, I'll talk to you later then.
1: Yeah. much.
0: <laughs> all right. What an enlightening talk. It is clear to see that Ginger has done a lot of research on this topic and is clearly practicing what she preaches. And now it's time for me to put these practices into action. Cause you know what, when we know better, it's time for us to do better. And uh, you know, I'm obviously just talking to myself right here. I gotta, I gotta step up. I gotta do what I'm learning. All right, so I better go practice some (laughs) self-care. It shouldn't be too hard, but yet sometimes it can be. All right, well, obviously I'm rambling, so I'm going to stop. I want you to check out the show notes with links to the resources and research that Ginger referenced in the talk. That can be found at SpeechUncensored.com. Next week, Jenna Castro-Casbon is illuminating the five phases of private practice. Jenna opened my eyes to so many misconceptions I had about having a private practice, it's such a good interview y'all. Jenna is so incredibly helpful and knowledgeable. I want to invite you to record a message for me to add to my special upcoming episode all about you, my amazing listeners. All you have to do is go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash S-U-P voicemail and tell me how the podcast has impacted your practice. And to wrap up, I want to thank you for listening and encourage you to leave a written review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Uh, Knowledge increases by sharing, so let's share the word with others. And now it's time for you to nourish your brain so that your practice can flourish. Thanks for listening.